Well, hey, I, I am very excited to be up here with y'all this morning. Um, for those that don't know, I'm the youth pastor here. My name is Kenny. Um, and Gordon asked if there was any part of Colossians that I would be interested in preaching. And so I took a look through here, and Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is where we're going to land this morning. Um, I'm really excited about this section because um, I think it's something that applies so well in the culture today just as it did when Paul wrote it to the church of Colossia so long ago. Um, and so I am. I'm really excited to be up here. Um, any, tur any turn we get in big church, as we call it, um, we're really excited. So um, like I said, Colossians 2, 6, and 7 this morning. If y'all would stand with me as we read the Word of God. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Y'all can be seated. So that's where we're going to be this morning, and, it's, and since it starts with the word therefore in verse 6, we always want to backtrack a few verses to see what that therefore is there for. So if we do, if we go back just a couple of verses to, back to the beginning of chapter 2, in verses uh, 1 and 2, it says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all that who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And so Paul is writing this, and, and again, he's never been to Colossia. He's never met these people face to face. But he's writing this letter, and he says, look, there's a couple of things that I want you and all of the surrounding churches over there to know. First off, I want you to be encouraged. And then I want you to be loving, being knit together in love. And finally, I want you to be built up into the firmness of faith. He says this full assurance of understanding. And we see this language later on in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we know that Paul has these three things. He wants them first to be encouraged. Paul is a very encouraging guy even though he was in jail or even though he was going through all the, the terrible things that he went through, he was a very encouraging guy. He was like, first off, let's be encouraged. You guys are awesome. You're doing a great job. Second, hey, I need you to love one another. That's, that's huge. Like, let's talk about that for a second. You've got to love one another. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. Let's do that. And then third, I want you to be built up together. I want you to be built up in the full assurance in this complete Faith, as James would say it. And so those are the three things he wants, which brings us back to Colossians in verse 6, where he says, therefore, since those three things are we want to do, we want to encourage you, we want to love on you, and we want to have this complete faith, then as you have received Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul, he's not talking to non-believers. Okay, Paul oftentimes went to places where he was the first one to preach the word. And a lot of his ministry was spent to people where he was first introducing them. But that was not the case with this. These were believers. These were people that had received salvation, like Gordon talked about like we, last week, with the, for the forgiveness of their sins. They had nailed that sin to the cross through Christ, and they, they put their faith in him. So he's not talking 
to people that are not believed. So these are two, the actual church followers. These are the, the Christians in Colossia. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. These were not super new Christians. They had been taught all of this before. What Paul was going to teach them was not this new earth-shattering revelation. It was not anything they hadn't heard before. But what he's saying is that you have to establish yourself in these truths. You have to build yourself up in the truth that we do have from Christ Jesus. And that's so important because as we read through the book of Colossians and some of these other books that Paul wrote around this time, we see that the the trouble they were having is people were coming into Colossia and they were bringing gospel that was not in line with what Paul and what the other apostles were teaching. And the people of Colossia, they didn't have this really established faith. They were kind of babies in their faith, and they were just being really easily swayed. And Paul says, look, I don't, I don't, want, you for, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to be swayed by any other teaching because what Jesus has done is the only thing that matters. He says, that's where you have to put your faith. And so as you've heard all this, if you say, hey, you've given your life to this, if you've been taught this before, now build yourself up in it. I love the words that he uses when he says rooted. You see, roots are the part of the plant that go underground generally. Some plants do have them above ground. But they have all these different functions. And some of the functions are gathering nutrients. Some of them are storing nutrients. But the main function of the roots of a plant are to go down deep and to spread wide to keep that plant rooted in the ground. If you've ever tried to pull up a tree out of your yard, like you know how good roots are at that job. They're great at it. They keep that tree standing straight up, and they keep it in place so that whatever comes, it will not move. And so that's the illustration that Paul is using for these believers. He's like, you have got to get to a point where you're past the baby food. You've got to get to a point where you're past understanding and that you start to build your entire life on this. He's saying put your faith into action. Start to build that up. If we go back to verse 6 for a second, I love the language that he uses. Paul gives all these kind of different action terms throughout his writings. And uh, he talks about put on the old put away the old self and put on the new self. He talks about being transformed. He talks about all these things, but here he keeps it really simple. He says walk in him. But I don't want us to miss this really really important word is the word in. Because if we were to change that word to like, it makes us a whole different ballgame. If Paul was to say walk like Christ, then we would have to spend all of our time trying to do the things that Christ did. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not really good at healing people. I don't, I don't have that gifting. I'm not, it's not me. I would have to spend all of my time trying to perfectly observe the law. I'm not good at that. I would have to spend all of my time trying and failing over and over and over and over again. And all that's going to build is resentment. All that's going to build is a greater set of laws and traditions that I try and set around myself so that if I break this little law, at least I didn't break the actual one. And that's the same thing 
that the Pharisees and all these other guys in the Old Testament tried to do to keep their people safe. And it brought about a very legalistic mindset to Christianity. But Paul doesn't say that. He's not, he's not saying walk like Christ. He's saying walk in him. And the difference is groundbreaking because what he's saying is I want you to walk in the truth that you are loved. Hey, it's really hard to love other people when they cut you off in traffic and you've been sitting still for 15 minutes. But it's a lot easier when we understand who Christ is, what he's done for me, and how he loves me. Man, that makes it a lot easier to go and love somebody else. When I understand that my identity is wrapped up entirely in the goodness of God, when I make a mistake, that doesn't decimate me. Because I know, hey, I'm going to make a mistake, but thanks be it to God that my identity is because of His goodness, not mine. You see, when we start to walk in the truth in Christ, we start to understand that it's not about how good we are or what we're doing or all these things. All that matters is how good he is, who he says I am, how he loves me. And what it does is it takes this to a whole different place as we establish ourselves in him. And so I want to kind of give you an example on how to build up in that. And so we've got this verse in Genesis and it's one of the first truths that we get about who we are in Christ and in God. It's in Genesis 1.27 says this. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, this isn't some new earth-shattering thing for uh, probably anybody in this room. We all know this. God created you in, your, in his image. But do we build our entire lives on it? Because I'm betting as we go through this for the next minute that we're going to see, man, that means a lot more than what I thought it did. Because when I see this verse, when I see this, I start to understand that I wasn't an accident. I wasn't just the creation of mom and dad feeling real good one night. Like I was created. I was formed with a purpose. Psalm 139 does an incredible job at, at showing this. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You see, when I start to understand that I'm made in the image of God, well, that means a whole lot more than, hey, you were made. It means that you, that the, the almighty God decided to take time on you. That the almighty God that spoke all of creation into existence decided to take his time and form you. That the almighty God that we have that, that, that rules over everything and is completely holy and completely blameless, completely perfect, takes time for somebody as broken as me. That verse has a lot more power when I start to see it like that. That's not all it says. It says we are made in the image of God. You see, so often we try to, to put all these different images of who we want to be over us. Oh, I'm an athlete. I am whatever job you have. That's always like people's first question. It's like before a name. Hey, I'm so-and-so. What do you do? 
well, I'm blank. We put all of these identities over us, whether we're a student or a teacher or an athlete or a mom or a husband or whatever. We put all of these, but God's saying, hey, I've created you. I'm going to give you an image. And you can try and put whatever else you want over it, but nothing's going to be as good as the image that I give you. I think of Michelangelo when he sees this massive chunk of marble and he starts chipping away at it and chipping away and chipping away. And for years he works until he's crafted the statue David. That marble, that big old chunk of rock did not tell him what he thought it should be. No, Michelangelo took his time and he created a masterpiece The fact that that rock didn't get to choose what it was doesn't make it any less of a masterpiece. In fact, because it was Michelangelo and because of the time he put in on it is the reason that it was a masterpiece. You see, you want to get canceled really quick today? You start to live in the truth that God gives you your identity and you don't choose. But that doesn't make you any less of a masterpiece. In fact, it makes you the greatest masterpiece of all. Because the author of all creation decided to make you his. When I see Genesis 1.27, that's the truth that I'm living in. That God took time on me. And as I root in that, as I build up a foundation in that, as I establish my faith in him, it's no longer about what I want. Because I'm not my own. I'm who he says I am. And it doesn't matter if I fail. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. Because I know what my father said. And I know the time that he took for me. And we start to live in that truth. Everything starts to change. We could sit here and we could go through all sorts of promises and truths throughout the Bible. That you are loved. And we could take root in that. And we could establish ourselves in that. I want to look at Matthew 3.16 for a second. And it says, Jesus is going before John the Baptist. And, and it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see, before Jesus began any of his public ministry, before he had publicly healed, spoken a word, or done any miracle or anything, before he ever went to the cross, God said, this is my son. And I love him. And I'm pleased in him. You see, our identity comes from that kind of father. I love when Paul says later on, in 2 Corinthians, he says that we are being transformed, uh, that we are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when God is giving Jesus his identity, 
When he's saying, Jesus, you are my beloved son. I am pleased in you. And when we come to salvation and we come before God, God sees Jesus' righteousness. He sees Jesus covering us. And he says, this is my son. I love you and I am well pleased. See, that's the identity that I establish my faith in before God. Paul was talking to these believers in Colossia, and he wasn't giving them any groundbreaking new truth. He was saying, take hold. Take hold of the truth that the Scriptures are have, have before you. Take hold of the teaching. Establish your life on it. Don't allow people to easily sway you with words. Build yourself up in this truth. Like I said, if we had time, we could go through all sorts of different truths that we have throughout the Bible. But just one, just one, if we were to establish our lives on, would change everything. You are made in the image of God. You have purpose. You are loved. And you see, one of the things that we struggle with in student ministry so often is trying to find who we are. Trying to make faith their own. Right now, for a lot of them, it's mom and dad's faith. I go to church because that's what mom and dad do. I do this because that's just what we do. I don't, I don't know. And they're trying to figure out these things. And they're trying to start to build those roots for themselves. And they're trying to figure out exactly how this works. Because you got your friends at school saying one thing. you got everybody on social media saying another. you got mom and dad saying something. And you're like, I don't want to listen to them. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, look... You are going to take root in something. Let it be this. Let it be the teaching of Christ. One of my favorite things about Sunday morning is you know, being here and all that's great. But I've, if you have an iPhone, it sends out a little report every Sunday morning. And it tells you how much you've been on your phone that week. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I love talking to students about, hey, how's your screen time look? And they hate it. Um, <laughs> but we have a good time with it. And so I want to I ask y'all, how much screen time do you think a student has on their phone a week? What do you think? Any idea? 10 hours, 13, 30, 7. So one of the things that I ask them every Sunday, every Wednesday, how, hey, how's your screen time looking? And so what I did is I started to build like an average for the students in our youth group. Like this is not nationwide. This is not Oconee wide. This is the students in our youth group and the ones that come Sundays, Wednesdays, Mondays. I started to build kind of an average. 
An average student in our youth group is somewhere between six and seven hours. And so I started to think, and I was like, all right, let's, let's, let's try and see this. If you come Sunday morning, if you come Monday night, if you come Wednesday night, maybe I see you for a Bible study at the school one day, maybe we go lunch. If we were to add all that time up, and we were like maybe eight, nine hours a week, Okay, why? Well, that balances out. But the trouble is that that six to seven hours is not per week. That's per day. That's per day on this. That doesn't count a laptop, doesn't count an iPad, doesn't count TV. That's on social media. We took a poll on top three apps for usage. TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram. It's where our students are spending their time. It's where their friends are. Now, not all of that is bad. Okay, There's some really good, inspiring people to listen to on Instagram. There's the Bible app. There's some texting and some other things that you're doing with friends. And it's not all of that is bad. I don't want to sit here and demonize all of that because it's not. A lot of that can be used for good. But a lot of that isn't. A lot of that isn't. I think the students get a bad rap because adults, we do a lot of the same things. We like to blame them more. <laughs> and I get it. I have kids too. Like, I do the same thing. But where are we spending our time? Are we spending our time comparing ourselves to others on social media? Are we spending our time trying to, trying to see what other people are doing? Because here's the thing that social media doesn't tell you, and here's the thing that the world doesn't tell our students, is that the world cannot ever, ever, ever tell you who you are. Because the world didn't create you, God did. The world and social media will only ever tell you that you are not enough. You're not pretty enough. That's why you didn't get enough likes. You're not athletic enough. That's why you didn't start on the team. You didn't post the right type of content. That's why you didn't get the followers. You didn't wear the right outfit. That's why nobody said anything. You didn't, you didn't, you're not, you're not. That's all it ever is. But when we take time and we put ourselves in this, I want to look at that last part of verse 7. Look at what happens. As we root and build up in him, as we become established in the faith, look at what happens in those last three words. We begin to abound in thanksgiving. When we spend all our time comparing ourselves to others and seeing who we are not, I guarantee you nobody's saying thanks for that. 
But when we spend our time seeing how much we are loved, seeing how much God pursues us, seeing the goodness and the joy and the beauty of what God has built, that's the only response. Thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for giving me an identity. And if you forget it, don't worry. He reminds you over and over and over again. He reminded Jesus. If Jesus got reminded, I think the rest of us can, can, can cut ourselves some slack and get you a reminder every now and then, all right? Behold, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased. In Matthew 17, 5, he reminds him again in the transfiguration. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, sometimes we need these reminders. And that's exactly what we get when we come to this scripture. Don't spend your time... Letting the world tell you what you're not. Spend your time hearing how much God is. How much he is loving. How great he is. How holy he is. How perfect he is. And that that God would take the time for you. The only response is thanksgiving. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. So church, that's what I want us to do. I want us to build this up. I want us to establish ourselves, establish our students, establish our hearts in him. Joshua 1.8 says this, The book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do what is according and written in it, that you will take the time with it day and night, Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard unless we drift away from it. The author of Hebrews was saying, Open your eyes and pay attention. Later on, he says, in, in chapter 12, he says, Fixing our eyes on Christ. It is really easy to lose sight of this if all we're doing is looking at this. Where are you establishing yourself? Where are you establishing your students? Where are you building yourself up? Or are we just listening to the lies of the world? Let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and build ourselves up in your truth. God, that you love us. God, that in you we are more than enough, that we are more than conquerors through you, that we can overcome anything the world can throw at us. God, that you give us an identity, that you give us our image. God, that you gave us your son. God, we thank you. I pray for each and every person in here that we would start to have real talks about where we are spending our time. That we would begin to establish ourselves in your truth. 
that we would just completely give away the lies of the world for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for each and every person in here. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.